Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our home away from home in Titusville, Florida. As a retiree, I often lose track of what day it is, but I was delighted to notice that this is the February 2-2002 202nd episode. In the 2002nd minute (laughs) of the episode. Oh, we are experiencing cold weather as much of the country is. But compared to much of the country, Ooh. we shouldn't complain. But when you watch the news here <laughs> and the temperatures are forecast to go below freezing, uh, the locals hit crisis mode and we're not very happy about it either because we can't be outside. But well, cold is to be always very relative because many people are getting tons and tons of snow. And most of our listeners are probably in the throes of snow. But let's face it, it is winter, but we are here in Florida because it's supposed to be warm. My mother always said there's no such thing as bad weather, there's just <laughs> bad clothing. Ah. And and I agree with her, but all my winter clothing is not here. We have some uh, little puffies that we wear occasionally, but uh, it's not too common. But it is going to get below freezing for the first time in four years. So that if you are uh, trying to seek the warm weather, this is a good place to come, that's for sure. Most of the time. Yes, and we want to kind of emphasize that uh, Orlando is about as far north as you can go and not have freezing, um, except for tonight. Most of the time. If you're north of Orlando, you're probably going to see freezing temperatures. As a matter of fact, Literally 50 miles north of Orlando, they're going to see temperatures in the 20s for a couple of nights. They call those hard freezes. And they're worried about the oranges. But we know back in Chicago, it's below freezing. (laughs) We see the the snow on our house uh, cams, our security cameras, and we see the snow in the driveway, and we know that the temperature in the house rarely gets above 50. So that it is definitely warmer here, but not warm. This weather always makes me think back to previous cold experiences in our RV. Uh, Many of those were spent fleeing Illinois for Point South after the holidays. And I have to say that even though we find being cooped up in a 450-foot square... Ha ha, 450? 375? 375. Square foot uh, box together, it does get to be confining after a while. Um, We are very comfortable in here. One of the factors, I think, is the thermopane windows which we have in this rig that we did not have in earlier ones when i think of the space i think of all these people who buy the bees the small class bees and they do camping for you know full timing or you know you're in a 20 a 20 foot rig and you're you're rving for months at a time and you gotta say what do you do in cold weather? Is staying cooped up in a small vehicle like that with two people, two or more, and a couple of dogs a family, and a couple of cats yeah, and everything, yeah. you just say, oh, 
you've got to rethink that because you're not going to be able to mentally. You just can't handle it. I don't think if you can't go outside. Well, now that we've all been through quarantines, for oh, COVID, yeah, maybe well. we're better able to handle confinement than we were before. And our basic contention is is that small rigs that you live out of them, and that big rigs you can actually live in for extended periods of time. So we went with the big rig. Although, as we mentioned last month. The newest of the biggest rigs are 450 square feet, whereas ours is only 375. So it is uh, possible to get even bigger rigs than ours. But we find ours to be adequate for the cold weather. We'll just stay inside today and read and do a little TV and make the podcast. Well, and if you have a really big rig, you take up the entire campsite. Mm. And if you want to be outside, then there's no outside oh. left because the people next to you are also camping outside. So yes. well. there's always a, a, a jockeying for space in this lifestyle. But I just want to say that it is possible to be quite comfortable in an RV, even in cold temperatures. Yes. Uh, so this is episode 202. We've passed the threshold of 200 episodes, and so we're continuing on for for years to come, ladies and gentlemen, this is for February of 2022. Ooh, did we ever think we'd make it? And with COVID coming down, we're actually excited that we might be able to do some traveling. Ah, but first I wanted to mention... One of the reasons people come to the Space Coast is because of the rocket launches. And... We have uh, experienced numerous rocket launches. We can actually see them from our site here. We can see the rockets once they they leave the pad. But if you are thinking of uh, coming to the Kennedy Space Center or to Orlando, um, you can see rocket launches virtually every week. Elon Musk is putting up 60 rockets this year so that... If you are, and this is a, a very big tourist attraction. It's a thrill to see, no matter how often you see it. Not only it. that, but it's free. And there's numerous places where you can just go watch it, and you can just sit down there, and you don't have to have reservations. You don't have to have, you can do it on pretty much on a moment's notice from here. You just go down to the ocean, which is about 15 minutes away, and park your car, and you can see the launches. That's here in Titusville, of course. But if you are on a schedule, uh, here for a vacation, here for just a few days, you can't focus your entire trip oh, yes. on seeing a launch because <laughs> they frequently get pushed back because of weather or mechanical issues. There's one we've been trying to see now for the last few days, and uh, it's been too cloudy and rainy, and they keep pushing it back, which they need to do to have it be a success, but it's frustrating for people that are just here for a few days. And of course, for those of us who are here for quite a long time, we pick and choose the launches that we want to see because they have different characteristics. So, for instance, the one that's going up tonight, which has been postponed for two nights, is going up at 6.11, which means that it will be dark when it leaves the pad, but the rocket will go up into the sky and be exposed to the sun as it uh, traverses its route to the to the hemispheres and then this one in particular is exciting because the booster and you know elon musk has got this fabulous booster that comes back and this time and this time it comes back to the pad and will land right back where it left virtually and that's very exciting to see most of the time the boosters land on a, on a ship at sea which is also hard to imagine the, how he finesses that the size of a heliport i mean they're not the ships are not big they're not like aircraft carriers or something that have a huge deck these uh landing pads are small and the 
booster just kind of drops very slowly onto it. But it is exciting to see uh, it come back to land and land at uh, back at the Kennedy Space Center. So if you are thinking of traveling in this area, you can probably see a launch uh, almost any week that you're here for the next year. And I expect that'll be even more, doing even more as the uh, years go on here. Makes you wonder how the sky is going to be full of stuff we've shot up there. Well, Elon has, you know, has over 2,000 satellites already in, in orbit up there for the, the Starlink. And Starlink is coming along, but it's still not ready for prime time. So we have not really pursued it because you can't get a dish for all the areas of the country and you can't rely on it if you're traveling in order to get satellite internet uh, because the cells are not open they have coverage but they have to have they have to be open plus there has to be an earth station close by so that the satellite will have uh, some internet to send to you because it has to come up from the earth from the base station and then down to you so that's uh, the situation here uh, this month on January 3rd, we left to go on a cruise. This was our second COVID cruise. And it, we ended up leaving during a time when many cruises were being canceled. Mm, and the FTC we was recommending not to go at all. Yes. And many of the ports that people were visiting were not letting ships in. It was a very problematic moment that we happened to have chosen. And it was amazing how well it all turned out yes, for us. Once again, like the Malta cruise that we took last summer, this cruise turned out to be quite interesting. As she says, we were nervous. Um, we had gone to the extent that we were driving to the to Fort Lauderdale instead of flying because we were nervous about flying. And we were ready to drive back again. <laughs> On the same day because they give you the test at the port. And if you test positive, well, that's you, the you way it goes. You can't get on. But, you know, a lot of people are very nervous about cruising right now. And, of course, with the CDC having made some fairly strict uh, requirements for cruising, you, you say, eh, do I really want to cruise? cruise right now but in all honesty in retrospect um and looking forward boy this is the time to cruise <laughs> if you're willing to assume those risks i feel the yeah i think the, the cdc overreached but i'm more worried about political reactions oh, to yeah, these yeah. problems than i'm worried about covid with itself ports being closed yeah but you know these ships are sailing with maybe half the passengers and of course they have 100 percent of the crew on board so the passenger to crew ratio has dramatically increased which means You've got service, and you want to go to a specialty restaurant? No problem. You want to you want a lounge chair around the pool? No problem. You know anything you want to do because there's only half the passengers. I mean, this is like cruising in an ideal situation. What other situation would you have where you could say, "I want to have uh, twice the amount of space that I normally would on a cruise and do whatever I want whenever I want?" Yeah, well, of course, but Silver Seas is a little bit different. This is one of our first cruises on a premium. On a la-di-da line. <laughs> and what do you mean by la-di-da? <laughs> Very expensive. Although, when I think about it, many of the cruises we've taken, you end up paying for being on the cruise. And then after you take the cruise, you end up paying for all the things you did. Uh, short yes. excursions or this is a, yeah. onboard items or depending on what you choose. A lot of it is a la carte these days. So when I add those two pieces together, um, the price discrepancy is less vast than it seems from the 
first look. Yeah, this uh, it is an interesting philosophy that you have to uh, wrap your mind around. Do I want to pay up front for everything and not have to be nickel and dime to death, or do I want to pay, shall we say, a la carte? <laughs> that's what I said for the things. Yeah, I know that that's you exactly what you said, but yeah. but it, is that is that the strategy that I want to use? So a la carte means you pay for internet, you pay gratuities, drinks. you pay for drinks, photos, photos, anything, anything extra Short besides your cabin and, and the basic food, and frequently there is a exercise classes. Exactly, all, all that sort of stuff is is all uh, extra, and you can pay for what you want. I mean, if I don't drink, then why should I have to pay for wine for everybody else? But as long as it's fully included, as it was on Silver Sea. <laughs> Oh, did we take advantage of this? Then, then we ended up consuming a $40 bottle of champagne every day about five because our butler brought it to our cabin. So Silver Seas has a reputation of being a upper upper class, oh, I don't want to say upper class, but it's upscale. upscale cruise line, meaning that they have high prices and it's all inclusive so that there's no extras for gratuities, there's no extra for food the the specialty restaurants are basically included and you don't pay for any of those extra things uh, and as of this month they're including a shore excursion and okay. airfare as viking did this summer on now we ship. paid about uh less than five hundred dollars a person for this one per day and i think that's kind of our criteria which is a lot it's for a us. lot it's a lot for us to pay but we decided to try this out because it was a COVID type of cruise, and we and, could drive there. And we gotta say that the ship, with only about six hundred capacity of six hundred passengers, six hundred and fifty passengers, with only four less than four hundred passengers on board, was really very spacious. The cabin itself was wow. huge. <laughs> I, we've never had a cabin with a bathtub and a shower and a walk-in closet, as well as, of course, a balcony and all that sort of stuff. Sitting room. And a table so that you could have dinner in your room, and a, as she said, and a that it was butler. Pl- and it was pleasant to have dinner in your room. You weren't eating on your bed, yes. which we've done before. So, uh, are these upscale uh, lines worth the extra money? I don't know. Uh, our next cruise is going to be on Princess. So Much we're, more going, back to, road, we're right? going back to the middle of the road where we will pay extra for Internet. and we'll For pay the things it. we use at, that are extra. Yeah, so it, it, right now the cruise is fairly reasonably priced, but what will it be when we get when we all is said and done, pay for airfare and pay for the shore excursions and, and all the things that you uh, have to pay for on a cruise? So We should add, and I hope this will not be the case much longer, that throughout the 12 days we were on board, uh, crew members kept disappearing um, and we would not have known it necessarily except they were quite upfront about it and these were members who had tested positive uh, the crew sleeps four to a cabin so it's pretty hard to socially isolate under those conditions and perhaps some of them were being quarantined we couldn't quite tell and this definitely impacted the restaurants and food service on board uh, Silver Seas normally has six restaurants on that ship yeah. and we ended up with just Yes. And sometimes, especially the day that so many of them disappeared at once, uh, the service got a bit ragged and the people who were left were really booking it, trying to get everybody served and happy. And we pretty much lost all the onboard entertainment. We (laughs) 
we can't quite tell if how much more was planned, but when they're showing you a movie that you can also watch in your cabin <laughs> in the evening, you know that things are um, not quite as they should be. Well, there was another nickel and dime thing, is, is that the, the in-room entertainment was included. But Silver Seas was well aware that they were not quite up to snuff, and they have offered us a 50% <laughs> off of what we paid for this oh, cruise. Be tough going back. Compensation for some future cruise in the next two years. And so, I don't know, I was not totally enamored with this experience but i don't think that's fair because they were not it was not the total experience so we'll see we might go back our general consensus i think is is that a 600 passenger ship is a little bit too small for, for us. us and i think a thousand capacity passengers is they can offer a little bit more although i gotta say the food on this oh. <laughs> this can get to me I enjoy having a nice steak, as probably most of you do, too, dear listener. (laughs) And he hardly ever gets any. And I hardly ever get any at home here. And and meat has gone up, you know, dramatically in price. But I've never had, knowingly, I've never had aged beef. Now, this sounds really gross. They take beef steaks, big chops, and they age it for almost two years. I mean, age it in some... I don't know where they age it, but they... Some closet somewhere. Some closet somewhere. (laughs) Then they cut off the mold. (laughs) And... You eat what's left. You eat what's... uh, But I got to tell you, 21-month aged beef is something to really savor and enjoy. And we had it numerous times and a steak like that probably would cost you 60 or 80 dollars at a at a steakhouse and so we enjoyed it every day and it's you know they talk about being able to cut it with a fork and this was super tasty beef and, more, and, and not only that but you got to cook you got to cook it yourself if you wanted to they had hot stones that they brought to your table, thick stones that were heated to 500 degrees, and you could cook your meat to your specifications at your table. I have to say that when I look at Facebook, which we now use to follow all these cruises and and the people that are on them, that Silver Seas had a very loyal following. And one of the things that the people always comment on is how kind and attentive and friendly the staff is, which indeed they were. But when I think back to other cruises I've been on, uh, I would say the same thing about the staffs on those. So to me, that's not a reason to pay $500 a day. Food was definitely a positive. How about having caviar every night? Yes, that was was a So for appetizers on this cruise for 10 nights, we had caviar. Each of us had a tin of caviar with accessories like little, what are they called? Well, there were chives. No, the little ramekins. What's that? Oh, blintzes? The ramekins that contained the egg whites and the egg yolks and chives. It's got a fancy name. Blintzes. Blitzes. The, the little blitzes. With the little yeah. Blinis. Blinis. Okay. That's what. Oh, and to sit in your cabin and enjoy. We. I've never had that kind of that much caviar or that kind of caviar. I've never really enjoyed caviar, but this was uh, very tasty. So we had that, which we later looked up on Amazon, which was eighty dollars a pop. So we had two of those, and we had a bottle of champagne, which we looked up on Vivino, and that was forty dollars. So we were every night we had 
Within about $40 in our cabin. Oh, boy. When we were planning this trip, I was quite intimidated by the thought of having a butler. But that ended up being a very positive experience, too. Uh, This woman served about eight cabins. Is that right? And and I started thinking of her as my mom. Because every morning... (laughs) Just what you needed. Right when we would get up, she would come with her thermometer and take our temperature, which was part of the COVID protocol. And she was the one who encouraged us to do this caviar feast every mid-afternoon when we ate in our cabin. She was the one who brought us the food. And all around, she was just overflowing with helpfulness and good advice and a very positive person. And she was not the person who cleaned our room. She didn't provide towels or cleaning service or whatever. I had these visions of Downton Abbey with someone unpacking. <laughs> well, I think they would have done that. They would but, have, but, but I wouldn't like that, and she didn't do that. No. So that uh, was an interesting experience. We did manage to go to all the ports, which were primarily in Central America and Mexico. Two of the shore excursions we had selected were canceled because not enough other people selected them, which was, I think, a function of the fact that the ship was small and the population was half of what it should have been, and they just couldn't justify having those tours, which was too bad. Yes, but we did manage to go to all the ports and did find out that at the end of this cruise, the ship was not going to sail on its next cruise. There were several people doing back-to-backs, B2Bs. They and, all had to get off. And they all had to get off because apparently many of the ports in the Caribbean were not accepting cruise ships. So they had nowhere to go. So they were going to the more easterly part of the Caribbean to some of the islands that you've heard about, San Juan, St. Thomas, St. Martin, and those places, and they were not allowed in, so they decided to actually cancel the cruise. So we we felt that the January 3rd cruise, which we were very nervous about, actually went off very well. We had a great time. The weather was was, uh, fantastic, and we uh, were very glad that we So if you are thinking of doing a cruise, dear listener, I would say go for it. Don't be nervous about it. But go with the knowledge that there may be some variations that are unexpected. And another thing cruise ships are doing is substituting one port for another to make it work. But I think in this case, because they lost so many other ports, they didn't have time to put alternatives together. Yeah, they cannot be faulted for that. People also worry about the formal nights on Ladida ships and tuxedos and glamorous gowns and all that. We certainly saw some nice attire, but... With my ex-teacher clothes, I felt quite comfortable there as well. Ex-teacher from 20 years ago, she <laughs> finds her old clothes. Despite, despite my strenuous persuasion, Ken did not bring his tuxedo, nope. and he did not need it. No, even these uh, fairly upscale ships that have uh, quote-unquote formal nights, they no longer really require a tuxedo, and a suit and tie was fine, uh, and probably you could get along with just a sports coat and a tie on a couple of nights, but... But on the other ships, on the more uh, mainline lines, you can get away with... Uh, less formal, less, yeah. Even less formal, right? It's They call them now dress your best nights or something like that. They don't even call them formal nights. I think this is responding to the needs of the passengers. We just don't get that excited about it. And the limitations that flying put on you now in terms of luggage. Although yeah. some people brought a lot of... 
Well, well, we could bring were, all we wanted. There were over 100 people on board who drove there like we did from yeah. somewhere in Florida, it seemed like. Well, I think that was... Including a couple who had a suitcase that the poor steward could hardly lift up because it was full of school supplies <laughs> that they were bringing to, to a school in, in Honduras, which was a, a wonderful thing to be doing. And the stops in Central America were very interesting because they're places you don't normally get to go on a cruise, and I'm glad that we were able to do that. So were we able to do any RVing this month? Well, because we were so focused on this cruise, we didn't really pay attention to the Tampa Super Show, which is something that we attend regularly whenever we are down here in Florida. We've met a number of you there over the years, and it suddenly occurred to us that we would be back in time to go, but we didn't have a reservation. later this year than usual. But we didn't have a reservation, and a friend here kindly was aware of a cancellation from the uh, Great Outdoors Travel group that we have camped with before. We especially like going with them because we end up fenced off in a secure area 50 feet from the entrance and we with have electricity, electricity yes. and we're parked on gravel, not on grass, which right. is helpful when it rains. We were so grateful that she helped us to get that cancellation while we were still on the cruise. So we were home for, what, two days and we left again. The Super Show was a great success, I think. I don't know. You go to the Super Show and it kind of gets mundane after a while or the same sort of stuff, but this year, I don't know, I found it to be really exciting, both from things we got done as well as the enthusiasm of the people at the at the super show. Where we live, whenever we have repair issues or something new we want to do to the RV, uh, there are very few people to help us in our immediate area. RVing is not big there. Uh, we, in Chicago. We drive to Elkhart whenever we want to do stuff, which is two hours away, and that's fine. But down here in Florida, where you can RV year-round more easily, there are so many vendors and so many possibilities. And they all go to the Tampa Super Show. So if you remember me bitching and moaning uh, at the end of the summer about all the broken things we had accumulated (laughs) while we were on the caravan and and driving to Florida, the remaining things that needed to be addressed were very easily done, like one-stop shopping, because every vendor and every manufacturer and and everybody was there. And you can get advice about things that you are having little problems with, uh, solutions that you you probably wouldn't really take it someplace to get it fixed, but it would be nice to have it fixed, like our front door. I especially have to give kudos to <laughs> Numar, who has been sold to Winnebago in the last few years, and people fret and moan about what's going to happen to the service, blah, blah, blah. Um, Numar still brings a fleet of technicians to the Super Show and a trailer full of stuff, so that when you are having a problem in your rig from 2012, they go back in the, into the trailer and get the you like to say in the bowels of the warehouse, but and, it's actually in the trailer. And you leave there with the part you need in your hand and good advice about what to do with it. It was just incredible. We've been having this problem with the door, which is hard to explain, but it has a, an automatic locking system, and it's been erratic, and it makes a, kind of a funny noise. And I wasn't clear to me exactly how it worked or how to fix it. And... It didn't stop us from traveling. It was just kind of an annoyance. It was very annoying. Okay. As the person who sits next to the door, it (laughs) sounded like the driver. (laughs) Okay. It sounded like someone was taking rifle range practice right next to me. 
inexplicably every so often a series of shots would go off and just left me on edge. You understand, not real shots. This was just the, the sound. sound of yes. shots. So to me, it was annoying, but it wasn't worth taking to the factory and spending a day driving there and coming back or you know taking it someplace to get it fixed. But you didn't know what to do about it. No, I didn't know how to fix it. So we went down to the booth at uh, the Super Show to Numar, and the fleet of technicians, <laughs> technicians was there. And they did a little well, confab. There were three of them. There. What were we doing back in 2012? And what parts were we using? And they well, they were like, oh, and we haven't this- done a repair of that in a long time. It was like a brainstorm. 2012, we've had three or four iterations of this since then, and I don't remember how we fixed it, and blah, 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 blah. I thought, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. But one guy... They came to a consensus. Of our, of our vintage. <laughs> said, oh, yeah, you just buy this part and you put a shim underneath it and it will fix it. And I was like, really? I can actually do that. Although they did have the repair guys who would come out and do it. Um, and this is a 2012 Dutch Star, of course. They went in the back and they had the part. Now, it was a plastic piece <laughs> Overpriced. Boy, you know, if I had a oh printer, a printer. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, it's coming closer and closer to me getting a a uh, printer. But anyway, uh, I could have printed this part, but it was a little plastic part, and it cost forty three bucks. But overpriced. Uh, overpriced. But when you need it, but you need you, it. Yeah, and they, of course they've had it on the shelf now for eight or ten years. So they had the part in their warehouse there. We now are uh, hopefully have the door fixed, but it'll be interesting to see. Well, this is just one of the things that we got done at the Super Show. We got the tow bar serviced, which is something that Blue Ox recommends that you do regularly. And where do you take that to get it done besides the Super Show? Pender, Nebraska. <laughs> Not, oh, you know exactly. Not a location I would have recommend. Have you been to Pinder, Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Do I hope to return? Not so much. And I was going to replace our Jeep Grand Cherokee with a new one. Um, lots of new features, and ours is getting a few miles on it, so I was going to replace it. And Jeep was there, and I found out, this is incredible, I found out that the new Jeep Grand Cherokee, the 2022, which they would ordinarily start producing in... August, July of last year. of last year is not being made. I thought, well, no wonder I haven't seen any for sale. Because there aren't any. Because there aren't any. The new Jeep Grand Cherokee is not being produced until mid-February. They're not even starting the 2022s until. So that tells you, boy, about the chip <laughs> situation. Or you know, we just can't find the parts. But it was very nice to sit in <laughs> one of the new Wagoneers, which has the same front end as ours, and uh, to see the new features and. Oh, we're going to have fun. Heads up display. All sorts of cool features. But I don't know when I'm going to be able to buy one. Not anytime soon. I don't think it's going to be this year. I may have to wait for the 23s. The 22s are are completely redesigned from the 21s. So. It'll be good. They'll have time to get the bugs out before you buy one. And will this one last as long as we need it to last? Will it make another trip home? Yes. Mm-hmm. We can hope that it will tow very well. We love the Grand Cherokee as a tow vehicle because one button and away you go. And you read all about these people with pumps and buttons and, fuse, and fuses and all sorts of other things which cause... Uh, well, cause problems and delays. The Grand Cherokee is a great vehicle to tow. 
So the bottom line here is that while a lot of people go to the Tampa Super Show to see the new rigs and to perhaps even buy one there, if you are long in the tooth as we are and have an older rig that needs stuff or needs to be refurbished or updated, the Tampa Super Show is also a wonderful spot to do that. We've also found a person who we intend to hire to replace our roof. Probably there will be a podcast someday soon about how that works uh, because that's one of the things that we worry about since we're not fortunate enough to have a pole barn or a garage where we can put the rig inside. It's a 2012 and you can tell. And the worst thing you can have happen is to have a leak in your roof which then damages all the other stuff inside your RV so this needs to be taken care of. So hopefully we found a good dude who can do this for us. So we did lots of things that were not involved in new rigs. So even if you're not uh, really shopping for a new rig, it's worth it to go to the Tampa Super Show. I think it is the biggest uh, show in the country. They talk about Hershey as being bigger quartzite, and I think uh, Tampa here is just as big. They have 350 vendors who are selling uh, accessories and things. There were 1,400 rigs on display, perhaps for sale. Supposedly 70,000 people attended over the five days of the show. Yeah. So it was a, a popular event. I think fruitful for the vendors as well as fruitful for us. Organizers reported that opening day attendance at the 2022 Florida Tampa Super Show set a new record of more than 20,000. Perfect weather and pent-up demand resulted in a record opening day crowd, said Florida Trade Association Executive Director Dave Kelly. We had a number of concessions run out of items due to the record attendance and the seminars were standing room only. If the weather holds up through the rest of the weekend, we expect to see huge crowds for four more days. And I think they they did. But one of the things that really is good about going and parking in the parking lot, and you can go and boondock for 20 bucks. For 20 bucks a night. It's worth it because you're there at the beginning of the show. And we found <laughs> we would go in the morning early when nobody was there. Then it would get crowded. Get crowded in the middle of the afternoon. We'd go back and take a nap and uh, <laughs> recreate for a little while. And then come back later on in the afternoon when the crowds had gone. And you can do that if you are staying there. Or on the days when we didn't need a nap, we left during the middle of the day and we could see long lines of cars waiting to come in because they had driven there from somewhere else and it just took a while right. to get there. So if you are already in there, you can maximize the use of your time while you're while you're so outside. So you can you can go and boondock, and this is key to your understanding. You can go and boondock without reservations anytime. Now, if you want to have a reservation and have a spot with electricity, you have to reserve in advance. And of course, this year because the whole Tampa Super Show was so popular, you have to have a reservation. Plan but ahead. There were. Hundreds of people boondocking. I we don't say. know if they sold out of those sites. It oh, didn't look they? like it. Uh, I remember that so. one time Barb and Gary mm-hmm. couldn't get in. Uh, well, it looked like there was there one were, for everybody there who came. And people come. At, now, here's another strategy. So listen carefully. The advice from your RV navigators: come the night before. And well, they let you in. They were. They were all there. They were well, all we parked were in out groups. There. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, they, they were there. Were out in the field yeah, yeah. where boondocking is done, and, of course, generators humming. Um, but the weather was uh, very pleasant. It was uh, near 70, and you didn't need air conditioning. So, of course, that depends on the year. Yeah, but we've been cool there. But as a rule, it's pretty nice. 
So to reiterate, we've been to Hershey once and to the show in Quartzsite a few times, and this is definitely our favorite. Uh, in my memory, Quartzsite was much better at new rigs and not so good at the kind of stuff that we were doing at the show this time. Quartzsite just isn't as big. It's more scattered throughout the desert. Um, it definitely has a culture and a vibe that's unique to Quartzsite, so you should go there at least once to see what it's all about. But we favor this one. Yeah, Quartzsite is definitely worth going to. And they have what they call the big show in January, which is about the same time as this. And you can enjoy that, but it's not quite the same atmosphere. They don't have near the number of rigs for sale. It's not nearly as well organized as this. This is all in a nice, compact area. In Quartzsite, you have to drive to the big show. And then if you, the dealers, and they bring in rigs, um, and there are not as many... Uh, options uh, if you're looking for a new rig. And I wouldn't think the deals would be quite as good. I don't know. But in Florida here, because within the Tampa area there are, I don't know, 10 big RV dealers. And when you drive past their lots, they have hundreds of RVs. Even this year they've had a lot. Yeah, they were well supplied. It's a much better selection for new stuff. But as far as the gizmos and gadgets go, I would say it's pretty much uh, the same. Did we see anything new on the lots? Well, one of the things that struck me was prices. Because in prior years, you would go past and they would have big signs on on inexpensive motorhomes, and they would be $75,000, 80000 65000 for a motorhome. And this year, there was none of that. No. I didn't see hardly any motorized vehicle that was less than a hundred thousand. So the prices have definitely taken a trip north and you're gonna to have to pay for them. And at our end of things we read that who, oh, yeah. who put the eleven Freightliner Freightliner put a eleven thousand dollar price change surcharge on all of the new rigs being manufactured from now on. So even people that had made arrangements to buy a rig and had already put in their deposit and picked out their whatever you pick out when you buy a rig were suddenly finding themselves having to pay eleven thousand dollars more, which is kind of dismaying. Yes. But that's the way it is right now. And of course, two uh, companies were showing electric RVs. These were concept vehicles, but it was interesting to see them. And I was looking at the Winnebago in particular. They had a a whole booth that was dedicated to um, what they called mm, Adventure Electric. (laughs) These were uh, built on chassis that were electrically operated. And with lithium batteries, of course, and which lithium batteries were all over the the the, the, the show, uh, but this vehicle was had no rear view mirrors, had uh, was a very smooth exterior, it was a a B type class B type of uh, vehicle. They said it would charge forty five in forty five minutes to eighty percent in uh, with a campground charging station. Interesting to to see how this concept is going to come down the road. These were not for sale, of course. They were concept vehicles. But will electric RVing become something that's viable in the future? They're working on it. They had pedestals. This is something I think that will come to 
parked campgrounds. They had pedestals that were especially designed for the plug that these uh, vehicles took. And so the campgrounds can install electric vehicle charging pedestals. Ah, but what will it cost? Mm, ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah, is the campground going to pay for your transportation fuel? Uh, so they don't pay for diesel gas or gas now, but will they the- pay for the electricity to run your vehicle to the next campground? Hmm. Whenever we're at the show, we always stop to drool over the very pricey motorhomes, the million plus, uh, which are often closely guarded by a salesman who makes you take your shoes off before you go inside. It's fun to see what a million dollars will get for you. And you see a certain kind of people there, as opposed to the other big trend we saw at the show this year, which were the incredibly rugged drive through the desert and up a mountain kind of vehicles, where I saw all these very sporty, active-looking well, I people think the, the Gen Xers, investigating yeah, those. Yeah, and I, I just don't know how ruggedized you need to make your RV in terms of a towable to make it uh, that you can take it. Where are you going to take it? <laughs> I don't. Uh, boondocking is one thing, but of course. They had, uh, you know, the diamond shield uh, protection on it, and they had big springs and tires and all that sort of stuff that made it uh, very rugged looking. But the inside was pretty much uh, the way they always are. So I don't know exactly how rugged these uh, vehicles will be. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around this. But one of the trailers that I did see that was cool was the Airstream. Because this Airstream had an electric... A moving system so that you could unhitch it and electrically with an app you could pull it away from your vehicle and back it into the site. Park Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So it would move on its own briefly briefly, and would um, (laughs) you could move it. So it took away the problems that people have with backing into their site because you could do this with with an app. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure whether the app we actually just push a button and say park it here, and it doesn't. But you could uh, control the direction of things with the app. There were also some new, new to me anyway, smaller vehicles, some made by Soul S O L, and one of them really caught our eye because it had a toilet inside that was not in any sort of a cubicle and when you would be sitting on this toilet you would be surrounded by glass windows where people could look in on you while you were using it. And I didn't see any curtains or... And and the windows were not that dark. No, they were not. It was like in the middle of the front of the RV. I just we have a picture of it. Oh, we want to remind you, of course, to go to the RVNavigator.com webpage to take a look at this episode's webpage. Uh, This is episode two hundred and two. In case you didn't remember that, and you can see a picture of this that we took of this wide open. It's like a toilet in the middle of your living room with all the windows open. I don't know what they were thinking of. Thor rolled out their concept rigs at the Florida RV show this week. Thor dubbed their release Welcome to the Future with plenty of fanfare. While you could take a close look at these rigs, they weren't ready to roll down the road yet. Long promised, short unuseful details will share with you what Thor is touting. But Thor wasn't alone at the show with the concept motorhome. Winnebago also trotted out its own E-Class 
RV Class B's camper vans. Interestingly, both Winnie and Thor based their concept motorhomes on Ford's full-size transit van. Both companies used electric motors in place of the typical fossil fuel power plant, but that's where the differences come to an end. Winnebago says it uses batteries to power the house and the drive wheels, giving an estimated 125-mile range between recharges. Thor plays a high card, claiming 300 miles of range. Neither company provides information about horsepower. But how can Thor claim so much more range than the Winnebago? Winnie's 125-mile projected range isn't a great deal less than a typical zero-emission passenger car. Thor's secret sauce is both batteries and including integrated fuel cell components, says Thor's release. And just what does a fuel cell need for fueling? Mm, A variety of fuel options, said to include hydrogen. Ugh. So these are just concept vehicles, and I don't expect to see them even next year or the year after, but it's coming. And and with all these electric things, um, no mirrors, um, iPads to control everything, uh, we camped next to a man who had a glass dash. Was that what went out? Oh, yes. And so he was no longer able to, it went out. So he was no longer able to see his speed or his turn <laughs> signals or whatever else you see on a dashboard, your fuel. And it rendered him kind of unable to drive. And obviously he had gotten himself there using some alternates, but it makes me a little uneasy to depend so much on electric devices that all the new cars have, have a glass your... dash. The glass dash meaning that it's all electronic, no no mechanical gauges. So that's common. Uh, cars have it, but when it goes out, it does cause a bit of a problem. <laughs> As you can imagine, because you can't see anything. His biggest problem was he couldn't tell when the direction signals were on. Or when you were going to run out of fuel. Well, remember what he said was is he's using something that I we've know. used and I that's know. and that's uh he's using Blue Fire for motorhomes. And Blue Fire allows you to connect up to the data port uh for all diesel engines and it transmits uh data to a, a an iPad or a, a tablet of sort of any kind. And the software then displays everything, all the gauges that you would have on your dash, and, and much more. It actually transmits much more information than you have on your dash, but uh, it is an alternative, and <laughs> you'd hate to have it full, use it full-time. Your dash should work, but that's what he was using to check his fuel and things. But the Blue Fire for Motorhomes doesn't have direction signals. <laughs> and it kind of turns his to life into a dashboard monitor sitting there <laughs> alongside him reporting all this because you can't stop and look at it while you're driving. Well, I can see it. Well, you should. I mean, the only really thing you need while you're driving is the speed, speed. and that you can get from the GPS. The thing that was bad, though, was is that they couldn't get the parts to replace it. And he had just been to a rally or something and, and had talked to Freightliner, and they said, we just can't get the parts to replace this. And so there were four yeah, other people yeah. like him, right? At so are you just supposed to stop and uh, not do anything for whew, six months? Six months. And I mean, this has been a problem with the the Sub- DEF stuff, and stuff, all the supply chain stuff that you just can't get. Ah, well, look at us. Yeah. I mean, our motor for our slide. Right. We just couldn't get it. Unfortunately, has <laughs> the replacement motor that we did get has been working fine, but. <laughs> Are you knocking on wood yes, by chance? Oh boy! So you got a new GPS? I did. 
my old one that I had for a long time, many RVs I've used it in. <laughs> many RVs ago, she was still using her old Garmin. It died. It, it, under serious consideration was using my phone as a navigational device. There is an app where you can put in RV settings so you can get a routing that avoids uh, low underpasses and things that would cause you problems, but I still felt more comfortable using my tried-and-true Garmin. So I asked Santa for another one, and I used it for the first time coming down here after the holidays. Worked great. I still really like it. All right, uh, so that's the Garmin 780. We'll have a link to it on our website if you're interested in buying one. It's surprising to me it was hard to find an inexpensive GPS. They are another thing that's gone up mm-hmm, big time in mm-hmm. price, at least the ones for the RVs. Mm-hmm. I'm also surprised that the batteries inside of, of Garmin's only last an hour. They, they advertise that up front, that you can't just use it without having it plugged in. Right. That seems very right. unhelpful to right, me. Right, right. I mean, almost, you know, your phone lasts for hours. and Even in navigation mode where it uses a lot more power, it lasts for more than an hour. And it seems like with these uh, cases, they could put in a decent-sized battery. If anybody knows anything about that, I would like to, or has a different experience, please let us know. I use the uh, Rand McNally, which I like a lot. I like the software very much. Uh, and it has a similar battery life. So I don't know what the deal is with GPSs and their batteries. The exciting thing at the show. The hurricane? Yes. No, tornado. Oh, Tornado. I kept calling it a hurricane. It's called a tornado because it's kind of shaped like a tornado. If you imagine like a Frisbee that's a little thicker than a Frisbee um, and you put your fingers in the slots on the side, (laughs) uh, it opens to a stool that is tall enough to sit on if you need to do some work inside your bays or polish your wheels or weed your garden. So this is a collapsible stool. And the nice thing about it is, is that you can have it up to 18 inches, but it'll collapse down. It, it collapses down to about three inches, but you can have it at any spot in between there. That you need. That you need, which is really nice. And it's strong enough even to stand on if you've got something to hold on. Even for me. Yeah. yeah. So uh, up to 18 inches. They and are selling them like hotcakes. <laughs> at 25 bucks a pop or more. <laughs> and you can buy them on Amazon uh, so that if this is something that appeals to you. Actually, they have a number of them on Amazon, and I will provide a link as well as a picture in the website, uh, so that if that's appealing to you uh, and you're looking for a little gaz- gizmo or gadget to give, actually almost anybody around home, it would be helpful yeah, you too. Because be it's helpful, RV-er. you know, if you're short and you want to get into the cabinets, uh, they open up very quickly and they collapse very quickly. Mm. So, <laughs> not necessarily well, together. You lock it in. And it seems to be very sturdy. Yeah. And uh, if you wanted to go out to a game and watch, this is. Much easier than carrying a chair because it weighs, I would say, a, a pound or so. But it's just a stool. It doesn't give you a back support. No, no back support, that's for sure. Oh, so, oh, I want to talk about air tags. Do you have air tags? Um, I think I have access to them from you, but I don't think I have. No, any. you have your own. I, I On your suitcase. Do I? Did so the put, Apple air tags. Did you put it there? You attached it to your phone. No. I think you did. <laughs> Another technology that she needs to learn about, ladies and gentlemen. The, the the ones that we did a long time ago? Yeah. Why are we talking about that now? Well, because they're becoming so popular. Ubiquitous. And, and lots of people are using it to identify their RV or their car or other accessories like you, their electric bikes. You can put them anywhere. You can put them anywhere. So... The AirTags, which were introduced by Apple just a while ago, and if you have an iPhone or any Apple product that uh, 
is portable. You can buy an AirTag, and they are devices which will track your vehicle or your item. You have to link it to your Apple phone, no, we, then? Yes. It won't work with any other phone. Not only with iPhones yeah. or with iPads and things. So any device, any Apple device, but they allow you to track where your stuff is located. And you should also be aware, I mean, one of the things that's happened is, is that people have put them into pockets of famous people, unbeknownst to the famous person, and it allows outsiders to track locations of people who didn't want to be tracked. And unhappy men have so if you on get, women's cars to keep an eye on them when they were breaking up with them and they weren't happy about it. It okay. has some creepy possibilities also. Yes, but Apple has designed a system, and if it alerts you that there is an AirTag close by that is not attached to your phone, you need to pay attention to that because that means that somebody has tried. Somebody's it, been creepy. Somebody's been creepy. But if you're not being creepy and you're like us and you're just using them to track, it is a, a very inexpensive way to track the location of various items that you might want to keep track of. So put them on an electric bike. I, we actually have some in our suitcases so that we can, uh, when we're traveling, which we will be doing next month, and you can see where your suitcase is in case it gets lost or whatever, and uh, you know find it if it if you, if somebody walks off with it. Yeah, whatever. On our RV, we have a spot, which is a little device which goes uh, which attaches to your vehicle permanently, and it actually uses satellite communications to track itself. This is an entirely different technology than Apple uses for the uh, AirTags because Apple uses other phones. And so if you're not near a phone, <laughs> if you're out in the boonies someplace where there are no phones around, the AirTag is useless. But if you are looking to f- locate something that is um, a much more sophisticated, you might want to take a look at the spot devices. Uh, I do pay a, a yearly subscription, which is, I don't know, in a $100 range, to have it uh, activated and to, because it is a satellite and it sends me an email when there is a movement of my vehicle, but it, it tells me within feet of exactly where the vehicle is, regardless of of anybody's proximity. So uh, I feel that on the motorhome, this is a good thing in case it's stolen or something. So it's a different uh, setup, but uh, it, it's specifically designed for that purpose. Now, the spot will not work if it's in in a building, right? It's, it's satellite-based. It's satellite oh, based. that's a good point. Um, would an air tag work? Yes, because it just needs to know where the phones are, uh-huh. and phones know uh-huh. where they are. Uh-huh. So it just it communicates with the with any iPhone that's nearby, which is why you'll get that message mm-hmm. if there's if it if is, somebody's being creepy. Yes, um, but otherwise it. Uh, Yes, that's that's a good point. It does, and so in the belly of an airplane, it will even know because the baggage handlers would have uh, phones on, and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So they're two different things, and for two different purposes. <sighs> so we will be staying indoors for the rest of today. Boohoo! But the good thing about Florida weather is is that it gets in warm. In a few days, it's going to be eighty. <sighs> so without any snow. Uh, we will uh, just enjoy the cold weather as it is. It's cold and rainy, but sunny today. Enjoy and being locked up in no, our... No, it's not cold and rainy. It couldn't be that. It's cold and sunny today. It could be cold and rainy. It, we've been through cold and rainy already. Right. Now it's cold and sunny. And very windy. So will the rocket launch this evening? 
Da 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 da. It shouldn't. It's very windy from what we're seeing now. I'll I'll try to put a picture up if it does so that you can see it, if I can get a picture. So, ladies and gentlemen, the 202nd episode of the RV Navigator comes to an end. We hope to hear from you. Please send us an email. We like to hear from our listeners. We like to chat with you. Questions, comments. All sorts of good stuff. Oh, the next episode is going to be made on the road. We're going to Costa Rica. For three weeks. And we planned it very poorly because we're going to be gone over the month change between February and March. So So we will have to take the portable recording system so that the RV Navigator podcast will not be late in being posted. But it might be. if it is late, you'll know why. You'll know why because we are in Costa Rica. I'm going to take all sorts of great bird pictures. He's not taking any clothes because we can't bring hardly any luggage, but he'll have lots of good pictures. Always important. We have to put our priorities in the right place. So, dear listener, please uh, keep in contact with us, and we will see you next month with our fingers crossed. And it really goes. So far, so good. And we'll see you in a campground near us. Someday soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.